Welcome to The Word at First Pres. During Lent, we are doing a sermon series called Parables of Jesus, where we examine various parables that Jesus taught during his ministry. The goal of this series is to examine the messages from these parables and how they are asking us to change internally through our spirituality and externally through our behaviors. I hope you enjoy. Let us go now to our first scripture reading, which is from Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 9. Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And then Jesus said, let anyone with ears to hear listen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading is a continuation of the parable of the sower. This is Jesus' explanation of what the parable means. This is Mark 4, 13 to 20. And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root and endure only for a while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know it's hard to believe, but we have found our way to the season of Lent. And last week, we began Lent with Ash Wednesday. Now, if you weren't here for Ash Wednesday... I hope you go back and you watch that sermon because Reverend Ken Hockenberry, Judy's husband, preached the sermon and actually began this particular series. And so if you didn't get a chance, go back and watch it because it's a really good sermon and it's worth your time. For those of you who are not familiar with Lent, I want to tell you a little bit about what Lent is and why we end up practicing it. So Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, and Ash Wednesday is a day where we take the time to really reflect on our mortality. And in fact, I don't think there's ever been a time in recent memory where so many people were simultaneously aware of the fragility of life due to the pandemic. And so as we reflect on our mortality on Ash Wednesday, this, of course, is what allows us to have the opportunity to walk with Jesus on his journey towards the cross. And as I always do every year when I begin this particular sermon series on Lent, I want to remind you 
that you are not a casual observer of Jesus as he takes this journey. You are not a passive participant watching him undertake this arduous task towards death and resurrection. His goal is your goal. His journey is your journey. And so my hope and my prayer for you is that you would be driving yourself towards death and resurrection as well. Now, obviously, I don't mean that in the sense that you have to literally die and come back to life. What I'm talking about is that you need to examine for yourself internally those parts of yourself that do not compare with what Jesus expects from us in the gospel. So those parts of us that are hurtful and mean and spiteful, those things need to come undone. Those things need to die, to go away, so that you can allow something new and better to rise in its place, to be replaced with the image of Jesus. Now, there's lots of different ways that this can happen, but perhaps one of the best ways is that we can get into Jesus's mindset, that we can understand his thinking, why he makes the decision he makes to move forward in the way that he does. And so by doing this, we look at Jesus's teachings. That's one of the best ways to understand his thinking. Now, Jesus's teachings, they come in two forms. One is direct teachings. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. The other way that Jesus taught was by telling stories. Jesus would use stories as a means to draw his audience in and convey meaning through the story. The most common story that Jesus was tell was known as a parable. And a parable is a story that is told with the express purpose of being able to explore a moral or spiritual lesson. So, of the parables that Jesus told, and he told many, they were all fictional, and he rarely gave any explanation beyond the parable itself. And the reason why is because if a parable is told well, it can convey deep meaning and truth to the hearer. And so during the season of Lent, we are going to be doing a sermon series called Parables of Jesus. Each week, we are going to be looking at the different parables that Jesus taught. We're going to be asking the question, what do these parables mean? What are these stories trying to convey to us? And most importantly, we're going to be asking the question, how is Jesus telling us to live differently, both internally, spiritually, and externally through our behaviors? So Ken Hockenberry began the sermon series on Ash Wednesday, and he preached about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Let me give you a little bit of background on that particular parable. So you have a Pharisee and a tax collector who are on the stairs of the temple. And the Pharisee is basically bragging about how great he is. And then he looks over and he sees this tax collector and he says, and I'm so glad that I'm not like this guy over here, this tax collector. And the tax collector is so sad about the person who he's become and he's admitting that he's done so many things wrong. And so the purpose of this parable is to convey the idea that when we own our mistakes, when we admit our faults, that is when we are able to find a path towards healing. And so one of the most fundamental aspects of the Christian faith is being able to own your faults and your flaws, to see them, and by seeing them, that allows you to be able to change them. Now, of course, the ability to change your faults and your flaws, that's the hard work that's involved in it. 
Because it's not easy to simply change our thinking and our behaviors. If it was, we wouldn't have self-help guides all over the place. I mean, the fact is, it's really challenging to do that. And so when it comes to us having to be able to find a way to change who we are, we need to find a path that will lead us to success. And of course, there's lots of different paths in the world. One of those paths is found in the gospel. And the question we're going to be looking at today is why is it so challenging for so many people to follow the path of the gospel? Why is it that when so many people hear Jesus's message, they end up falling away and they don't want anything to do with it? And of course, this is actually a lot of what the parable of the sower is talking about. The parable of the sower is one of Jesus's most famous parables, hands down. When I was a kid growing up, I probably heard this parable more than any other. But for those of you who may not be familiar with it, let's go over the specifics, the details in it, so we're all on the same page. So Jesus starts telling a story about a man who's going out to a field in order to plant seed. But on his way out there, rather than waiting to get to the field to plant the seed, he begins indiscriminately tossing seed as he's walking down the path. Now, some of that seed falls on the path itself, and if you've walked on a path out in the woods, you know that that path is hard and packed down. And so the seed, it just lands on the surface of the soil, making it easy food for birds to eat. Then, some of the seed, it gets to the edge of the path, and on the edge of the path, if you've been walking, you know, it's kind of rocky. There's, there's a lot of loose soil there, so the seed can easily get down, but the problem is because it's rocky, because there's rocks to the side, the roots can't go very deep, and so it will spring up very quickly, this plant, but then once the weather comes, the elements come into play, it will die. And then some of it goes even a little further out, and so if you've walked along the path, you probably know there's shrubs and different things there, so it gets inside of the ground. It's in good soil, but as it grows up, the shrubs and all the thorns and the weeds choke the life out of it. And then some of that seed gets beyond all of three of those places, the path, the rocky soil, and the shrubs, and it gets into good soil. And it's from there that it's able to yield a lot of produce. Now, unlike a lot of Jesus's parables, Jesus actually tells us what the correct interpretation of this parable is supposed to be. It's one of the few where he does it. And so he tells us, first off, that when it comes to this parable, the seed represents the word. Now that term, the word, is talking about Jesus's message. It was a way that early Christians would talk about Jesus's message. And Jesus's message, of course, is the gospel. That's Greek for good news. So let's just make sure we're all on the same page. The seed represents the word, the word represents Jesus' message, and Jesus' message represents the gospel. What this means is, is that the sower is anyone who's trying to spread Jesus' word. And the soil that he's talking about represents a person's heart and how receptive they are to Jesus' message. So some people's hearts are like the path. It's hard. And so what happens is when they hear the message, it doesn't penetrate. It just lays on top and it goes away. Some people, their hearts are like the rocky soil. They hear Jesus's message. And what happens is they really take to it immediately. They think, this is great. I definitely want to be part of this movement. But when they face any difficulty, any hardship, any persecution, they fall away. And then some people, their hearts are 
like the soil with thorns and weeds. So it gets planted in good soil, but the fact is, as it grows up, the cares of the world kind of choke it out. And what I mean by that is, you're not really concerned with the gospel first and foremost. You're more concerned with life. You're concerned with raising a family, making enough money to support yourself, those types of things. And so the gospel takes a back seat. And then there are some people who hear the gospel, hear Jesus's message, and it becomes everything to them. And when these people hear it, they dedicate their lives to bringing Jesus's message to fruition in the world. So this is Jesus's message in a nutshell. This is what the parable is about. Now, one thing that we often overlook when we're talking about this particular parable is the seed itself. We all assume that the seed, which represents Jesus's message, is all the same, that it's all good seed. But we have to remember that the sower is anyone who's trying to spread Jesus's message. And this is where the problem comes into play. The problem is that the way you convey Jesus's message and the way I convey Jesus's message can be two completely different things. So even though we're both sowers of the word, so to speak, the type of seed that we might sow for Jesus could be very different depending on the type of gospel we preach. Now the question is, why can there be so many divergent kinds of messages? I mean, the fact is we have one New Testament, we have what Jesus said, why would they go in so many different directions? And the answer to that question is that Jesus's message is a really hard message. It's not easy. Jesus's message requires a huge amount of sacrifice. Jesus doesn't just want you to give of your resources, your money, and your time to those who are in need. Jesus asks you to rearrange your entire life around his priorities. So he wants you to make his priorities your priorities. He wants you to make his way of thinking your way of thinking. He wants you to make his actions your actions. He wants you to make his suffering your suffering. You see, what many Christians do not realize when they sign on to be a Christian is that once you become a disciple of Jesus, you give up the autonomy to be able to live life on your own terms. You basically say, you know what, I can't do that anymore because I have to take Jesus's priorities into account. You're basically setting that aside. Now, this is why in the parable of the sower, there are so few people who actually end up following the gospel. I mean, remember, think about it, right? He gives four examples. Three of the four, three of those four people end up leaving it behind completely. And it's the rare person who actually ends up bearing fruit. And the reason why is because it requires so much sacrifice of the person who's going to follow Jesus, which would make you think that actually there would be very few Christians in the world, but that's not the case. If you look at the statistics, there are 2.4 billion people who identify as Christians. 30% of the world, nearly one in three people, identify as Christians. Now, something about that math doesn't add up to me. Because, given how many people claim that they are Christian, you would think that there would be a lot more people sacrificing for their faith. But they're not. How can there be so many people who say, yes, I'm a Christian, but so little sacrifice? And the answer to that question 
comes down to the type of seed that has been planted in their heart, or more precisely, the type of gospel that they believe in. So if you listen to the pastors who are the heads of some of the largest churches in the world, megachurches, that have tens of thousands of followers, what you will find if you listen to that message very closely is that they are preaching a message that sounds very, very different from the message that you see Jesus preaching in the gospel. Now, these pastors, you can hear them. They're on television. Literally, they have, they're on stations. Their sermons, their services are broadcast to the world. And if you listen very closely, what these pastors are often talking about at the core of their message is this idea that God wants you to be financially prosperous. So God wants you to have a good job that pays well. God wants you to have a really nice house, a fancy car. God wants you to be able to fulfill all of your material desires and have plenty of money to boot. And the way you get access to all of these rewards is that you have to have faith. The more faith you have, the more you believe and trust in God, the more God is going to reward you with riches. Now, I have to be honest with you. It sounds like a pretty good deal to me. I mean, the fact is, is that if you become Christian and then you get rewarded with money, who wouldn't want to be a Christian in those circumstances? And I have to tell you that these pastors of these very large churches, it's not like this message is not found in the Bible. It certainly is. They are drawing on messages that are in the Bible. This message is particularly found in the Old Testament. What you find is that once people turn towards God, they become materially prosperous. So an example of this would be Abraham. So once Abraham ends up making a covenant with God, things start to go pretty well for him. So he ends up with a beautiful wife. His flocks start to really increase and on top of all of this, he ends up with servants and slaves. So he's living a really good life. And that is attributed to the fact that he is faithful. And in fact, his descendants have a very similar kind of lifestyle. So his descendants, they end up going into the promised land. This is the Israelites, the Hebrews. And God not only gives them the ability to conquer this land and claim it as their own. But once they get there, they have the ability to take over this land and build beautiful homes and grow abundant food. And once they're there, because they happen to be in the middle of all the trade routes that go in and out of Africa and Saudi Arabia, well, they get access to all the money that comes from those trade routes. So as a result of following God, they become financially prosperous. And so you see this idea that's very present in the Old Testament, that if you follow God, if you believe in God, if you have faith in God, then God is going to reward you. But the moment you turn against God, the moment that you have a lapse in faith, that is when God will punish you and strip you of your riches. We actually see this happen in the Bible. So the nation of Israel is founded sometime around 1000 AD. Let's just use that for round numbers. And when this nation is founded, they end up being very prosperous. But then around 400 years later, they end up getting taken over by various entities. And the last time they get taken over is by Babylon in 586 BC. 
Now the reason given by the prophet Isaiah, that's what that whole book is about in there, the reason he gives for why God allowed the Babylonians to come in and to decimate their homes and to basically ransack their wealth was because they were not faithful to God. And so there's this equation that we essentially find in the Old Testament. And the equation goes, if you have faith in God, God will reward you. But if you lack faith in God, God will take your rewards away. So these megachurch pastors who have the ability to preach in front of millions of people because of their television channels, it's not like they're making it up. It is there in the Bible. The problem is that when we get to Jesus in the New Testament, he totally upends this way of thinking. So Jesus tells his disciples that if they follow him, they will not become wealthier as a result. They will actually lose and have to give up their resources. Let me read to you a number of Jesus's sayings around this topic. I'm just going to read them to you one after the other. The first comes from Luke 12, 15. Jesus says, take care be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. The next one comes from Luke chapter 12, 33 to 34. Sell your possessions and give alms, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And then Luke 14, 33. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. Now, when you see these sayings one after the other, when they're literally right next to each other, it becomes crystal clear that Jesus was completely anti-materialistic. The idea of gaining wealth and material possessions for yourself, that goes completely against what Jesus wanted us to do. And so when you look at the parable of the sower, And you see that three out of the four examples that he gives are people who fall away. It makes total sense that that would be the case. Because Jesus is asking everything of you. He wants everything from you to be one of his followers. Now, of course, today, that's not the way we live as Christians. Everybody in this church that I know lives in an apartment or a condo or a house. We're not living like Jesus did. Jesus didn't have a home. He would go from one place to the next. He would just travel from one house to the next. Say, hey, I'm going to stay at your place tonight. That's not how we live. We haven't sold all of our possessions and given the money to the poor. No, we have been trying to find treasure in this world. We've been building up treasure for ourselves. How many of us have savings? How many of us have investments? We're doing the exact opposite of what Jesus wants us to do. And so in our modern world, what we find to be the case is that most people don't want to hear the difficulty of Jesus's message because it would cause us to have to give up too many of our creature comforts. In fact, the world we live in today is really driven by materialism. The capitalism that we have as our economy today is driven forward by us continually buying more and more items. That's what props up the economy. And so if we were to actually do the things that Jesus asked of us, if we were to sell all of our possessions and give the money away, the economy as we know it today would collapse. And so there is this constant tension that we find with modern Christianity, where the life that we live today is really in opposition to 
the way that Jesus wants us to live. And so as pastors, a lot of people will just try to get by this. They will try to mute, dull, or controvert Jesus' message completely. Because let me ask you a question. Which of these sounds better to you? Jesus wants you to have money and wealth and riches, or Jesus wants you to sell all your possessions and give your money away to the poor. I can tell you which one of those messages is going to sound better to people living today. It's going to be the message that God wants you to be well off. And so here's the real kicker when it comes to Jesus's message. Here's the tough thing about it, which is that if you are preaching Jesus's actual message, if you are preaching the gospel correctly, according to the things that he actually said, then your church is actually going to shrink. It's going to get smaller, not larger, as a result of you preaching Jesus' actual message. Because it's just like what he talks about in the parable of the sower, which is that it's the rare person who actually wants to do what he's asking because it requires so much sacrifice. So when I come across a pastor who is the head of a very large church, and I see them on television, they have tens of thousands of members, I would be willing to wager that the message that pastor is preaching is very different from what Jesus is actually saying. More than likely, the word that that pastor is sowing is the word of prosperity. That is the gospel that that preacher is going to be preaching. Because truthfully, that's the only way you're going to get that number of people coming to your church. They're not going to be willing to make that level of sacrifice that Jesus is actually asking of them. And so to me, when I look at this particular parable, I think that what he's asking us or what he's saying is very, very simple. Jesus is saying that you need to, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. If you sow a simple, easy, digestible gospel, then you will end up with people who have a simple, easy, digestible faith. So you will end up with people who have a faith that does not ask very much of them and allows them to live their lives in whatever fashion they choose unabated. They can do whatever they want. I can believe in Jesus, and then I can live however I want to live. However, if you sow a hard, difficult, challenging, demanding gospel, then you will find that you have people who fall away, but the people who stay, those are the people who are willing to sacrifice for their faith because they know that their faith demands much of them. And so the question that we need to be asking of ourselves this morning is what kind of church do we want to be? Do we want to be a church that sows a gospel of accommodation or do we want to sow a gospel of sacrifice? Now, there are a lot of benefits to sowing the gospel of accommodation. Don't get me wrong on that. There certainly is. The gospel of accommodation comes with many benefits. So one benefit is that you have more people in the pews. You're going to have more people coming into your church. You're going to have more money in order to be able to pay staff and have more programs. And it can come with fame and glory because you never know if you do it well enough, one day you might get your own television show. You might be able to preach to millions of people on television. The only problem with that is Jesus didn't preach a message of accommodation. There is this very strange idea among Christians, very warped idea, in fact, 
that Jesus never said anything to upset anyone. That Jesus was just this really nice guy who would go around and he'd be like, hey, how you doing? Can I help you? And he certainly did that. He certainly helped people. But a lot of what Jesus said made people very angry. He was willing to push people outside of their comfort zone. Jesus questioned their behaviors. He questioned, he said, look, what you are doing, the way that you are living, that is wrong. Jesus questioned their theology. He said, hey, the way that you're thinking about God is not the right way to think about God. Jesus questioned their traditions. If you're a traditionalist, if you love tradition, you would not have liked Jesus because he would have pushed you really hard. And in fact, he pushed the establishment so hard that they sought ways to shut him up. That's why he ended up on the cross on Good Friday is because he pushed and he pushed and he pushed. Now, if you haven't noticed, I tend to take my cues from Jesus. I have no problem preaching a sermon that's going to make people feel uncomfortable. I have no problem preaching a sermon that's going to make people feel angry or upset because that's exactly what Jesus did. He pushed people. And I know and I have known that by preaching a gospel of sacrifice, I know what the consequences are going to be. I know that over time there's going to be less people in the pews. I know that over time there's going to be less money in the coffers. I know that over time my sermons are going to make me less popular with the people who are here because I'm going to make them feel uncomfortable. But you know what I can do? I can actually look in the mirror. I can look at myself and I can know that I'm actually doing the things that Jesus asked me to do and I'm saying the things that Jesus said. And I'm okay with that. So I know that some of you might be thinking, well, Alex, are you one day going to ask us to sell all our possessions and give the money to the poor? No, I'm not going to ask you to do that, but I am going to push you as close to the line as possible. Because I can tell you that for me, I'm always looking for the various ways that I can push myself. What can I do to help those who are in need? How can I find ways to help those who have suffered from injustice? I'm going to keep pushing on that and pushing on that until it pushes you to that line where you say, okay, what can I do to make a difference? Because the fact is, it's hard to be the good seed. It's not easy to do the things that Jesus asked of us. But I really believe in what Jesus talks about in the parable of the sower. That for those seeds that get planted in good soil, there's not many of them, but when they do get planted, they produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what you expect. And so, yes, I think we do need to preach a gospel that is hard and demanding and challenging to the people in this place. Because if we do that, then the people in here who stick around, then we will be willing to sacrifice a great deal to make sure that we are doing what Jesus asked of us. And I've already seen that happen. I've already seen so many people turn and actually start living out that gospel of sacrifice. And I know there's more of you lined up waiting to go. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you would embrace that gospel of sacrifice, that you would be one of those seeds that can produce 30, 60, and 100 times so that we can bring to fruition in the world what Jesus envisioned for us, which was a gospel of sacrifice. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org. For more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.